Let's take our Bibles, please. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. If you need a copy of the scriptures, just raise your hand. We will get you a copy of the Bible. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, that's yours to take home. It now belongs to you. Don't let anybody else take it from you. Everybody got one? Everybody good? Okay, just want to make sure. We are continuing our study called The Gifts in the Body. We are, um, after today, we are two more sermons into this and we are finished with this series. Now, that being said, we have a lot to cover today uh, that, that uh, I feel is uh, incredibly important for us to look at because we're going to be talking about the purpose of tongues. And let me say some things real quick. Um, all of my jesting up here is in good fun. I love the Baptist. I was one once, Okay. Grew up in a Baptist church. Grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Actually was commissioned by Southern Baptist to go plant a church for college students, okay? So me and Baptist are somewhat friends, and it's okay. Uh, uh, everybody's got different denominations and different convictions about certain issues, but it doesn't change the fact that if we are in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I think that also applies to the fact of people who believe in speaking in tongues. I think it's important to recognize that speaking in tongues is not a primary issue of which to divide over doctrine. I think that's vitally important. I think the point to be where we would divide with someone who holds that conviction would be if they make tongues a necessity to go to heaven when you die. That then shifts the focus to the performance of a person rather than the finished work of Jesus. And if we want to be about anything here at Grace Bible Church, we want to be about exclusively the finished work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners, period. It is only in that way that someone receives forgiveness of sins. It's only in that way that eternal life is made available. Only Jesus can do that, okay? So it's very important. However, even though we don't want that particular issue to be a dividing point, even though that we're saying that we're brothers and sisters of Christ, yes, we all need to be educated on what the Word of God has to say about these things. The Word of God gives us definite parameters of how we ought to think about spiritual things. And since we're in the midst of looking at this, this uh, it almost seems like they're being pitted against one another, and that's not the case between tongues and prophecy or what we would consider the spiritual gift of preaching. What we're really looking at here is there's different functionality for these things. You got to know what to have and when to use it. I want to think of a good example, but I can't. You know, uh, um, I'm stumped on that. I probably should have thought of that before I got up here, but I don't have a good one. It's okay. <laughs> But it's just like if you're, if you're going to fix your car, one tool that you don't use usually to fix your car is a hammer. You're like, you don't know how mad I've gotten at my car before. Well, that was frustration. That wasn't you fixing it. It's just not one of the primary tools for the job. Well, tongues has got a purpose. Preaching has a purpose. And it's important that we are open in heart and mind to say, well, what does God have to say about this subject so I can settle in on God's perspective? Not my thoughts, not previous denominational training, uh, not, well, this is how I think God would work. I, we, we think a lot of things about how God would work. We find out that's not true. Uh, a lot of us still have a difficulty with the understanding that he loves us and he will never forsake us. Yet his love for us is what motivated the cross, him never forsaking us is one of the primary promises that he's made regarding our eternal security. You can't grow apart from affirming those two things. Yet the Bible, page after page, tells us that truth. So, we're going to start in chapter 14, verse 1. 
We're going to walk through quickly just to recap what we saw. One of the most important things you could have is this little notes page. Hopefully you've got it where it's written at the top, things I learned about tongues. And you can begin filling in as we go along things that you find. Now, if for some reason, since we've got a lot of information to cover, we go a little too fast here, that's okay. A good thing to do is just to jot down the verse number. We're going to look at a few different passages in order to make a sound argument today for what the Bible teaches as a whole. But you can just simply write down, like we're going to go to Isaiah 28. Just write that down and go back and take a look at it yourself throughout the week. And you can document down here. You will have a list front and back, I guarantee you, of things that you will learn about speaking in tongues. So here we go. The very first one. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. That's chapter 13, right? Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now remember, the issue was is that everybody wanted to speak in tongues. And Paul's like, hold on now. If there's a gift that you should desire to be exercised among you, it's not tongues, it's prophecy. Now, why? Well, he's going to unfold that for us. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. That's important to note. For no one understands, but in his spirit he is speaks he speaks mysteries. Now notice that Paul is not saying the gift of tongues is not legitimate. He's not doing that at all. What he's saying is, is there's a place for it. And the first thing you need to understand is that when tongues is exercised in the assembly of the church, it doesn't have anything to do with benefiting other people. It's simply that only God knows what you're saying. Moving on here, verse uh, 3, but one who prophesies, one who preaches, speaks to men for three things, edification and exhortation and consolation. The next one, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's important to mark. When you speak in a tongue in the assembly of the body, you're only building up yourself and no one else. But one who prophesies edifies the church. And this is the key point. He says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Notice he's not frowning upon it. He wishes that everybody spoke in tongues. But even more that you would prophesy and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Unless, notice there's a condition here. Unless he interprets so that the church may receive what? Edifying. The goal is, is the church being built up. That's the whole thrust of this entire thing. We only have one time as a corporate body, and I hate using the word corporate, it makes it sound real business. Pfft, don't like that. But we only have one time where we are all together as the assembly of the believers a week, and that is on Sundays. We have different things that go on, Bible studies and, and youth is going on Sunday nights and those types of things, which is all excellent. But as far as all of us gathered together in order to worship the Lord, we have a Sunday morning time. What do we need to have going on in the Sunday morning time? Edifying, exhortation, encouragement, and also being consoled if you're going through hard times. That's what needs to happen. Sometimes it might be, well, I don't really like what was said. I don't feel very consoled there. No, I'm trying to exhort you into a better direction. And so if that's something where the Holy Spirit's touching your button with the word of God, that doesn't mean that it's out of bounds and not edifying. It's probably revealing an area that needs to be prayed through. The mind needs to be renewed by the word of God so that we can move forward in a better way so that we can begin edifying one another. Every spiritual gift is to be edifying one another, building up all the time. Next verse. Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, 
what will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. So notice, you've got to have an interpreter for tongues. And even if Paul came and spoke in tongues, would it build you up? He's saying no. He would have to move into his gift of preaching in order for that to happen throughout the body. Verse 7, yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? Does everybody remember my great rendition of A Mighty Fortress Is Our God over here? Everybody remember that? You guys were just full of joy in singing, weren't you? No! No! You didn't even know what song I was playing. Notice he's likening that to the idea of tongues being exercised in the assembly. He says here, for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? The answer is no one. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech, and that's the the, the muscle in your mouth. If you utter by the tongue speech, that is clear. How will it be known what is spoken? And the answer is it won't. Notice he says, for you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, Let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now pause, because that's a really important point. If someone has the gift of tongues, they need an interpreter so that the body is edified, but also so that they know what they're saying. The person who speaks in tongues doesn't know what they're saying. Right here, Paul says, if you speak in tongues, you need to pray that you know what you're saying so that you can tell everybody else. That tells us that they don't know what they're saying in exercising that gift. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, can you pray in tongues? Yes, you can. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. The spirit may be doing something because our spirit is what is exactly in tune with the Lord of God because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Remember, our spirit is the condo. The Holy Spirit is the tenant, okay? And when you believed in Jesus, he moved in and cleaned house and made all things new and that's wonderful and great. So you can pray in a tongue that way, fantastic. But your mind is gaining nothing from doing that. So he says, what is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind. Also, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, and that word actually is the idea of those who don't have the gift of interpreting, say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying. And the idea is they can't because they don't know what was said. So moving on here, verse 17, for you're giving thanks well enough. Notice that Paul's not discrediting that. When you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks. Absolutely. Nobody's disputing that. What's the problem then? But the other person is not edified. Everybody see Paul's real push here? You got to be edified. I thank God I speak tongue, speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul had that gift. I believe he had that gift primarily because he's an apostle. Now watch what happens here. However, in the church, in the assembly, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words 
in a tongue. Why is that? Because you can understand what he speaks with his mind. You cannot understand what he speaks in a tongue. Why? No interpreter. Now, I don't know if you're seeing this, but notice that Paul is giving us an understanding that tongues is not to be exercised in the assembly of the body unless there is an interpreter. Does everybody see that? That's his big push. Now, usually what happens is, is right after 19, we have a heading. The greatest thing you can do is go over to Walmart and buy you some of those whiteout strips and just go right across there and wipe that out. Don't let the translators tell you how to think about something. Look at the text. Don't let it cause a division in your mind from 19 and 20. Move forward. Look what he says after this. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. How you are dealing with these matters. Real quick, were the Corinthians kind of children in things? Yeah, in fact, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 3, you find out that he says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people. I had to speak to you like babies in Christ because you're carnal. Why? Because jealousy and strife is rising up amongst you, and you're saying, I'm with Apollos, and I'm with Paul, and I'm real spiritual, so I'm with Jesus. That kind of thing, causing divisions. And what he's saying is, is that's what children do. Children take sides. That's what they do. You can't afford to think like that in this matter. So in these things, don't be children in your thinking. And here's what's interesting about this word thinking. It's a hard word to describe in the Greek. Uh, some of the Greek grammarians have it translated minds. Maybe you've got a different translation. It says mind there. But the idea is, is your heart and your lungs. And in Greek thought, it was actually used for how you reason through a situation and how you make a sound judgment about something. Uh, it's all the faculties that you would exercise when you're on Jeopardy. Think of it that way, okay? Just write that in the Marjorie Bible. Jesus won't care. So think about that. Yet, in evil be infants. And some of your translations might say wickedness, but what's interesting is, is this has got the idea of mentally devising something in order to create malice or violence against another person. So as far as that's concerned, be children in evil thinking about stuff. But when you need your mind about you regarding how the assembly of the body should conduct itself when it's together, you can't afford to not think about tongues and preaching in an infantile way. Be mature in this. So he says at the end there, but in your thinking, be mature. And the word there, we've seen this before, is the word teleos. Now, if you go back to chapter 13, verse 10, we talked about a couple of Sundays ago, what is the perfect? The partial, the partial, what is the perfect? What is the perfect? And remember, we talked about it's the word teleos. When something comes to its completed end, when it's reached full maturity, when it's fully grown is the idea. So he's saying in your thinking, seek to be fully grown and how you're assessing this matter. Now, everybody pay attention because if you want to know what the purpose of tongues is, Paul clearly tells you. All of a sudden, he moves from this idea of needing to think wisely and be infants and evil, and he drops this. In the law, you say, wait a second, we're not under the law. We're not under the law. Is the law true? The law is true. So even though we're not under the law, it doesn't change the fact that it's true. I just now turned on my battery pack. I apologize to the guys in the AV booth. Thank you for the thumbs up. Okay. In the law, it is written. Now watch this. And what's interesting about this, this is a quote from Isaiah 28. So this gives you an idea of what Paul means when he says the word law. Law is much more than just the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament. Look what he says. By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people 
And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Isn't it kind of weird that Paul, be mature in your thinking, by the way. Here's some obscure text from the Old Testament. Isn't that strange? Why would Paul do that? Okay, listen to me, because there's been a lot of fight and debate over how New Testament authors use the Old Testament, okay? Well, what we found is, is predominantly there are two ways that it's used. Number one, it's because a prophecy was spoken in the past and it becomes fulfilled in the future. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, okay? Spoken in the past, Old Testament. We have the birth of Jesus. It's the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. The other way that it is used is by a New Testament author taking a situation in the Old Testament and because of similarities that go on to their present situation, they decide to take a quotation from there and apply it to their current situation. They're not interpreting it for you. That's important to understand. Interpreting it for you and seeing fulfillment would be prophecy coming to pass, okay? But this is where you take something and you would apply it to another situation. It might be the same type of idea, something that was kind of big in my generation and is still kind of big today. In fact, we're, we're, we're pretty much dorks because we do this sometimes. Uh, but is the idea is if we've seen a certain movie and there's like a funny catchphrase or something like that, and we have a situation that happens in our life, we'll throw out that catchphrase and people who know that will be like, <laughs> okay, it just, that's what we, we do that, don't we, Eli? We do that, you know? Let me give you an example. I'm going to say this is going to be, this is dumb. Comedy relief moment, okay? This is dumb. But if I were to look at you and go, Shampoo is better. It gets the hair all clean. No conditioner is better. It makes the hair all smooth and shiny. How many of you know where I'm talking about from that? Okay, five of you. Some of you are like, he just spoke in tongues. Ha, there's his argument. But that's not what happened there. That's just a goofy thing from our generation. And we use that and we kind of apply that idea to a situation we might be in. Now, because only five of you understood it, it's a terrible example. I should never use it again, okay? But... You kind of get the gist of, okay, this isn't, what's that? I don't have time for that, honestly. But I tell you what, if you get with Zach after church, he will. Amy will, never mind. He, he just let his, he's just said, no, my wife will interpret that for Kevin. That's good. But it's the idea of, a, of taking something from the past and applying it to a current, current situation. What is the current situation? They are loving tongues because of all the notoriety it gives them. And they're kind of discounting the clear teaching of the word of God. And it's causing them to be lopsided in how they live with one another. Now, look at it again. In the law, it's written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers. I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. The smartest thing that we can do to try to figure out what Paul is getting at here is to find what the verse reference is, Isaiah 28, and turn back there. Let's turn back there real quick. Isaiah 28. Turn with me to the Old Testament, please. Isaiah 28. Now let me set the stage for you. When you get into the prophets, the main reason why the prophets were, were called forward to represent God in a large way towards the end of the Old Testament is because they just couldn't stop being rebellious. They just couldn't get away from their idolatry. They just couldn't worship the Lord. They couldn't obey the Lord. Uh, they just weren't willing to construct their lives around what he had called them to in the law. And you say, well, nobody can keep the law. Yes, that's true, but remember this. In the law, we're given provisions for when you sinned. It told you how to sacrifice, what to sacrifice, when to sacrifice, 
for your sin. So God wasn't being unreasonable. What he was seeking to do was keep everybody very sensitive to him and very humble to where they always relied and were dependent upon him alone to provide everything they needed, food, peace, safety, offspring, didn't matter what it was. But that came through obedience. So it's all about their fellowship, their intimacy with God in the Old Testament. They always wanted to run away from that. They always wanted to have something else to do. And especially when you got a king involved, it became real bad. So we're picking up. Isaiah is kind of charging them. You guys just sit around and be drunk all the time and you don't care about what the Lord has to say. You are wasting your lives doing unfruitful things. The Lord is going to judge you, okay? And we're picking up in verse nine, which is kind of a strange place, but I try to give you some of the context. Look what he says. This is King Ahaz responding to Isaiah. He says, to whom would he teach knowledge? And to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just taken from the breast? Now here's what he's saying. Why is this guy always preaching to us? Why does he keep calling us to task? We're kind of tired of listening. What do you think? We're dummies? Does he think this prophet's got something to teach us? He should be teaching children, not us. Can you imagine King Ahaz? I'm a king. Who's he think he is? Can everybody see pride kind of bubbling over in that? Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 10. For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. You say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It says, whenever Isaiah comes to try to speak to us, he's teaching us like we're little kids. He's giving us little bits at a time. And he's trying to just lead us. And the reason why he's trying to lead them on little steps is because they've been so rebellious against God. It's almost like they completely forgot the foundations of who they are as God's chosen people. So he's got to start slow in turning their hearts around. And they're finding this insulting. Why? Because we're bigger and we're better than that. We can determine our own destiny of these things. We'll make our own choices, Isaiah. Sit down. In fact, does anybody know how Isaiah died? They stuffed him into a hollow tree and they sawed him from neck to groin. Yes, right down the middle. That's just how loved prophets were in Israel, okay? So this ended up becoming a very highly climactic and terrible moment. However, I guarantee you this, Isaiah doesn't regret a minute of it, okay? Remember this, he was very faithful to the Lord. So notice, he says, verse 11, Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue, He who said to them, here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose. Now stop for a second. If someone were to come to you and say, I see that you're weary, let me tell you how to have rest. Are you all of a sudden going to have an attitude with that person? Why does Israel? Because they were so hard-hearted in their adultery, or sorry, their idolatry. They didn't even want to hear about the idea that only the Lord could give them rest. And so they railed against this. And they hated Isaiah because of this. Notice what he says. I'm going to have a people with a foreign language come and talk to you. They're going to say something to you. They're going to speak into your life in a major way. I came and I said, here's rest. Give rest to the weary. And here is repose. Here's where you can find tranquility and refreshing with the Lord. But notice what the problem is. Everybody see this? Now this is the fun point, right? I got to get this out here. I love it. Pin. Boom. They would not listen. This is the problem when it comes to obedience. Anytime we find ourselves in an affront to the word of God, it's because we refuse to receive it. We will not listen. Anybody know what that's called, foundational framework people? Unbelief. You guys know it. I refuse to believe what God has to say 
about this situation. So, moving on to the next part. You will not listen. Go back to 1 Corinthians. A people coming in and speaking with a foreign language were the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a brutal and savage people. And they came in and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And they took captives back to Assyria. And you've heard me tell this before. But these are the people who would skin you alive and use your skin to cover their furniture. They were brutal, nasty people. And this was the discipline of the Lord through a pagan nation onto his chosen people because they refused to listen how to have rest. Does everybody see the hardness of heart here? Okay? Now here's what's interesting. That was a message that was spoken to the Jews. When you hear this foreign language come in here, your judgment has come. That's what he's saying. Now watch how this happens. In the law, it is written. This is verse 21 of chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. By men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now watch this. Oh, gosh, I messed it up. This is what happens when you prepare your own stuff. Verse 22, so then, watch this, pay attention. Two divisions here. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe. Pay attention. Get out your piece of paper. What do I learn about tongues? Tongues are not for believers. That's what it's saying. When it's exercised, it's not for believers. Look what it says. But to who? Unbelievers. Lost people. That's who it's for. Now here's the interesting thing. If Paul has spent this time discouraging the exercise of tongues, unless there's interpretation within the assembly of the body, where are the spiritual gift of tongues to be exercised? Outside the body, which tells you that it's not a discipleship-oriented gift. That's edifying. It is evangelism gift. It is a gift that God can use in order to pronounce judgment against people should he need to do so. Think about that real quick. Now, here is something that's very interesting, but prophecy, what we've been looking at and what he said is superior, is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but those who believe, all y'all, right? That's who it is. That's us. Prophecy is for us. Tongues is for the unsaved. Now, turn to Acts 18 real quick. Because there's something very interesting about Corinth and where that this church may have been located. Acts chapter 18. Remember, tongues is not for believers. It's for unbelievers. Prophecy is for believers, not for unbelievers. By a people of strange tongue, I will speak to these people, but they will not listen. And in the Old Testament, that was used in its context to speak against King Ahaz and their hardness of heart, the fact that judgment was going to come in from a people of a foreign language, notice it's an authentic language, that they did not know, and that was the people of the Assyrians. Now, chapter 18 of Acts, I'm going to ask you, I don't have it on here, just look at verse 1 real quick. After these things, he left Athens and went to where? Corinth. Isn't that the book that we're in? Okay, skip down to verse 7. Then he left there. He leaves the synagogue where he was preaching at to them because they blasphemed and they resisted his message. So he kind of wipes his hands clean, wipes his feet clean, said, you know what? Your blood be on your own hands. I'm going to the Gentiles now. I'm not talking to the Jews anymore. Now, here's what's interesting. Where did Paul go after this in Corinth? 
Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Everybody see kind of just humorous in this? He's preaching in the synagogue about their need to understand that Jesus is their promised Messiah from the Old Testament. They're saying no, and they begin blaspheming God because of this. He goes, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to Gentiles. Who's next door? This guy worships God. I'm moving in next door. Do you think that maybe when he brings up that application, it might have something to do with who's living next door to where Paul's currently staying in this situation? You think it might be speaking to the Jews who, because they blasphemed, remained unbelievers and did not accept the gospel? I think so. Now, here's what's great. There's, there's joy to be had in this situation. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, who's just next door, believed in the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Was that a good move? That was a good move. They gave Paul an audience. Some people blasphemed against him, but Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, who probably understood the scriptures better than anybody else that was there, said, wait a second, there's something here, and I'm seeing the connection. He moves next door, starts talking to the Gentiles. Crispus can't shake it. He gets saved. That's a beautiful thing. It all happened in Corinth. Why? Because Paul's just next door. I want to know more, more about what Paul has to say. Well, just go next door and see your friend, Titius Justice. Who's that guy? Is that his name? That was his name. Yeah. What a name. Anybody pregnant? Write this down. Titius. Come here, Titius. Let's go play ball. Anyway, moving on. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In the New Testament, the spiritual gift of tongues only occurs in four passages. Three of those passages are in Acts. Okay? Now, I've included the one that's not, and it's in a controversial part of Mark. A lot of people believe that because of some of the inconsistencies you see in this end part of Mark, that it wasn't part of the earliest manuscripts. It was actually added in later. Now, if you've got a really good Bible, they're going to give you some side notes to explain that to you so you understand. Remember, Bible translators and people who compile them, they're trying to do the best that they can. So don't fault them for that, okay? Now, notice what it says. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, here's what's interesting. Everything that is mentioned in this little passage, with the exception of drinking poison. I know what you guys are thinking. Backwoods, Appalachian Mountain Christians are handling snakes. I understand that, okay? But everything that happens listed right here, except with drinking poison, the apostles did every one of these things. This isn't talking about people who would believe through the apostles' ministry. It's talking about the apostles who do believe and what they will do in order to authenticate the gospel. That's what it's talking about. Now, turn to Acts chapter 2. We know Acts chapter 2 because it's the first place we see what? Tongues, and it is also the birth of the church. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit comes just as Jesus promise so now we're going to move to acts chapter 2 we're going to look at these other three passages that deal with tongues and ask the question what does this tell me about how i need to understand tongues chapter 2 verse 1 when the day of pentecost had come they were all together in one place now i'm going to go ahead and let you know the one place that they were in was the temple we're going to see that as it unfolds here and suddenly pay attention to what happens there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So this noise is filling all the dead space where they were sitting. Now they're in the temple, so this is happening, and it's a public event that's going down, okay? Look what it says here. 
Verse 3, And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, each one of the apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now pause for a second. Did the apostles ask for this? No, God chose to do it. Everybody see that? It's the Spirit's motivation to make this happen. And here's the reason why this is important. Because I've talked to some people who've said, you know what, I've prayed and prayed and prayed that I would have the gift of tongues. Nobody in the Bible prayed that they would have the gift of tongues. God didn't give it that way. That never occurs. It never takes place. Search the New Testament all you want. You will never find somebody, I'm just praying for the gift of tongues. I'm just praying. That's not how it comes about. God gives as he sovereignly desires to. And if he wants you to speak in tongues at a moment's notice, he'll do it. And you'll be like, what in the world just happened? I don't know. It was God. But it's not because we're being earnest enough, we're being holy enough, we've fasted long enough, we've read every sentence in the New Testament. God's not impressed by those things. And he is not going to give that gift in light of what you give for him. You just made the spiritual life a barter. The spiritual life is not a barter. It's not a flea market. It's grace. That's how it happens. And God chooses to work through us in the way that he sees fit for the edification of the body. So notice, they speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men. Now watch this, devout men from every nation under heaven. What's that tell you? They're at least bilingual. Everybody see that? That's why it's brought up. That's why Luke takes the time to bring that. They could have even possibly been out of town because they're having Pentecost, and everybody took the buses in and decided they were going to come there for Pentecost, right? Everybody thinking like, uh, what was that? What's that thing called, Steve? You guys went to men, men stuff. What's that called? Promise keepers. They all brought the promise keepers buses in. Boy, that was a real dumb hesitation for a silly joke. Moving on. <laughs> Verse six. And when this sound occurred, okay, so notice they're all seeing it. it's a public event. The crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Is tongues a mystical language that no one can understand? No. It is an authentic, real deal language. It is you speaking Spanish and not having previously understood it. It is you speaking forth German and not having any training in the language. Why? Because it's spirit endowed. And I don't know if you noticed from what happened at Babel, but he is the God of all languages. That is important for us to understand. Now, moving on here, they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these men speaking Galileans? How did they all come from the same place? And there's such a diversity of languages amongst them that I'm hearing. That's their question. And how is it that we each hear them in our own language? Notice Luke brings it up again, verse 6, verse 8, to which we were born. Now, if that wasn't clarification enough, He brought you to one of these good old lists in the New Testament. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. What was the content? The mighty deeds of God. What was the method? Whatever language that would best communicate 
to the people who had different languages and could understand it. Notice in this situation, they didn't need an interpreter. They had people who already knew the language. Does everybody see this? So it's the first time it shows up. It's important for us to understand. Now, keep in mind what was spoken in Isaiah 28. This is a sign of judgment against the Jews. That's very important because they would not listen. Why would God do this and bring a judgment against the Jews? Who did they just get done killing a few days prior, 50 days prior? They just killed Jesus 50 days ago. They killed their Messiah who God promised to them. He will save you. Believe in him. He went throughout. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Jews said, no, I think we'd rather put him to death. So this is why a judgment is coming against them. Now, notice here in verse, uh, sorry, that's the first instance of that taking place, okay? And then Peter goes on to preach a sermon. 3,000 here, they get saved. Notice that Peter had to preach for everybody to understand, and then they were able to get saved because of what they heard. It wasn't the tongues thing that saved them or brought them to faith in Christ. Turn with me to Acts 10. Here's a reason why Acts 10 is interesting. Number one, tongues doesn't occur between Acts 2 and Acts 10. It doesn't take place anywhere. But in Acts 10, you have a very unique situation because Peter is called upon by the Lord to go see a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's actually part of the Italian cohort. So he's a a military soldier of some sort. It says that he's a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household. And he actually gave alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. So whatever general revelation of God that could be known, Cornelius was responding to that. And then there's a vision that appears to him, say, go and call for a man named Peter. He's going to come and tell you something. Listen to him. So Peter shows up. Okay, we're going to start in verse 44 because he talks all about the gospel. He talks about the death. He talks about the resurrection. He talks about the fact that the apostles are witnesses. Um, Let me see here. In fact, it's not on here, but look at verse 43 just because it's so darn sweet. Okay, of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That was the culmination application of his sermon. Okay, now watch what happens here. While Peter was still speaking, These words, look at it, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers, which is another name for who? Jews. All the Jews who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Now stop. This is the second occurrence of speaking in tongues when it actually happens. Notice that Jews are present because there's obviously something that wants to communicate and the guys who are with Peter are freaked out. Whoa, what? This looks just like what we saw before in Acts chapter 2. I didn't say it that way, but you get what I mean. We saw this before. But it's happening to Gentiles. And we've been brought up our whole lives to hate these people. And look what we see happening in front of our eyes. Now watch this. Here's Peter's conclusion. Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized who have received, notice that baptism happens after believing in Christ, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? The answer is no. What's he trying to prove from this occurrence of tongues? Tongues was used in this instance to authenticate the fact that Jesus had died for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, that the church was going to be much bigger than what the Jews had thought. So tongues is used at this moment in order to ratify for people the work of God as being authentically among this situation. Now, 
Everybody see where it says, just as we did? Everybody see that? They ended up in Acts 15, turn over a little bit to Acts 15, having one of the first church councils. And the interesting thing about this church council is, is the debate is over the contents of the gospel. Does somebody have to keep the law in order to be saved, or is it by faith alone? In chapter 15, verse 7, it says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, look at this, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by what? By faith. Does everybody see that? Now, how is it just as he also did to us? How did Peter know that? Because they did what? Spoken tongues. Everybody see that? Okay. Is everybody confused? Who's asleep? Just make sure. I'm excited about this. Nobody else? Okay. It's not that exciting. It's okay. Woohoo. Thank you. I love those sympathy woohoos. Those are always the best. Everybody turn over to Acts 19. This is the last place besides in Corinthians. Or wow. Wow. Did the audio pick that one up? We want to. Where's the wireless mic? We want to give that to Kevin. I'm just kidding. Chapter 19. Chapter 19 is a very interesting and pivotal chapter. Because Paul comes to Ephesus, and Paul comes upon some people who are actually Old Testament saints. They're Old Testament believers. And he's talking to them. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Paul said, hmm, when you were baptized, what baptism were you baptized in? We were baptized in John's baptism. They were baptized all the way back in John the Baptist's ministry. Everybody remember John the Baptist's ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when people would come out and they would get baptized, he would push them down and they would pop up and they would begin blurting out all the horrendous things they'd ever done in their life that would come to their heart and mind, confessing it before everybody. We have a baptism coming up at the end of August. Let's try it. Let's try it. I can see it now. I'm the only one out in the water, and there's crickets everywhere. I can see it. I can see it. You know, maybe I'll go first. That'll be it. It wasn't a surprise that people sinned, right? But the idea was is getting out of the way. And, and this isn't on here. I should have put it on here. Forgive me. But, but I want you to see what he says. Look at verse 4. You got your Bible in front of you. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance thinking about tackling that subject because it's so misunderstood. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. What did that look like? Notice that Paul gives commentary on John the Baptist's baptism. Look what he says. Telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. In other words, this was an opportunity for them to change their perspective to change their mind, to become wise again. And they symbolize this by going down in the water and getting all their sin out of the way so that they would have a clear path to understand Jesus when he showed up on the scene. Here's the problem. He showed up on the scene and these guys missed him. Now, either they weren't in town when that happened and they went back to Ephesus or they were in a cave somewhere. I don't know. Because Jesus' ministry for four years was pretty wide known and prominent. 
And so look where he goes. When they heard this about Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, notice they didn't start speaking in tongues when they were baptized. It wasn't until Paul came up and put his hands on them. Notice that Paul didn't pray for them while he put his hands on them. He just laid his hands upon them. The Holy Spirit came on them because they prayed for it. No, it's just what God wanted to do to show something. Notice, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues. That's our evangelism category, right? And doing what? Prophesying. That's our discipleship category. It's edifying, but it's also a sign. And what was the situation here since there were 12 of them that got blessed with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in tongues? They were showing Paul something. It might have been a testimony to other Jews around them about their judgment, but notice a Jew was present in this situation. What should we conclude from this? Tongues was given in order to show that God had judgment against the Jews. How do we know that? Well, if it was authenticating the message so that the, Gen- the, the Jews understood that the Gentiles were part of the body of Christ, and if it's also a situation where there's this pronounced judgment across the Jews or any unbeliever because of their unbelief because they can't understand what's going on, God's sending a message here. He's got something to say to them, and he's using tongues in order to communicate that. That's what we see pulling from this. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians 14. I've only got two more hours of content here. Just kidding. Only. 14, look at verse 22. Let's go through this quickly. Watch this. So then, because this really messes a lot of people up. In fact, has anybody ever heard of J.B. Phillips? Anybody heard of him? In the 60s, he created a very common language translation for people. He actually takes the order that Paul put here in the text and he reverses it and he puts a footnote. He said, I can't understand how any copyist got this right. They must have reversed the order. And he actually changed the word of God to try to make sense of it. So don't read his first Corinthians part of his translation, okay? Look what it says in verse 22. So then tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. And prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Verse 23, therefore, in that, in light of that, here's what we need to understand. Look what he says. If the whole church assembles, stop, pay attention to that. Haven't we been talking about the setting of the church and everything needed to be happening for edification? Yes. So notice what he's saying. If tongues is for unbelievers, now put yourself in the scenario. We're all gathered together to worship the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, united in him, together to give him praise. Look what it says. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, wasn't that the Corinthian problem? It was. Look what he says. And ungifted men, people who don't have the gift to interpret it is the idea, or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're mad? You say, wait a second, I thought you said tongues was for unbelievers. Why is he saying that they will say that they're mad here? Because it's happening within the setting of the local assembly. It's not out traveling about looking for the Lord to use you for his purposes and then giving you, not for you praying, but because of his purposes, he gives you the gift of tongues in order to evangelize lost people. That's not happening in this situation. This is an edification setting, not an evangelism setting. So if lost people or people who don't have the gift of interpretation walk in, they're going to say, this place is crazy. What are they doing? I don't understand a thing that is going on. Nobody wants to come to confusing church. Okay? Look what it says after that. Verse 24. But if all prophesy, if we're all speaking words for edification, consolation, and exhortation, okay? And an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, one who who doesn't have the gift of interpretation, He is convicted by all. Why? 
because he can understand what's being said. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Why? Because they can clearly understand everything that needs to be said. If they're showing up in the local assembly, do they need to hear tongues or do they need to hear preaching? Everybody see that? Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. That's exactly what they need to hear. So what is the conclusion? Yes, ma'am. Go for it, Julie. I don't see any evidence of that. Every, in fact, here's what's interesting. Every instance where the word tongues is used after 1 Corinthians is the idea of either talking about the muscle in your mouth that you use for speaking, or especially in Revelation, it's very prevalent of saying of every tongue, tribe, and nation, speaking of the Gentiles at large. That's the only way that it's used. But I don't see anything where the 144,000 need to use that. I don't see where the two witnesses need to use that. I don't see, I don't see, well, what's interesting is the sign at that time is that the preaching of the message reverts from believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very much out there. But what's interesting is, as we're told even by Jesus and what you see in Revelation, the message of the kingdom comes back to the forefront. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Well, the first time they killed the king. That's why the kingdom didn't come, and that's why the kingdom is not here. Let me repeat, it is not here now. It's not here in any form now. It's not resting in our hearts. It's not here spiritually. We're waiting for it figuratively or physically. It's not happening now. Our hope is to wait. How do I know it's not happening now? Pay attention to Daniel's statue in Daniel chapter 2. The toes of clay and iron have not come about yet. You can't just cut them off at the toes and bring in the kingdom. You can't do that. God gives prophecy for a reason for us to follow it and for us to be knowledgeable of when these things are going to happen. So I don't see that happening. What I do think is important is everybody still asks the question, what is tongues going on now? Has it come, the perfect come? When we talked about how tongues were going to cease in and of themselves, and obviously the perfect is the rapture, and that hasn't happened yet, has it stopped? I believe it has, and here's the reason why. If tongues was given to authenticate that the Gentiles are part of the body of Christ, has that happened? Acts chapter 10. If it's given for a judgment, Jews, you're going to be judged for the, for the rejection of your Messiah. Has that happened? Yes, it's a time called 70 AD. Do some historical research. In 66 AD, the Jews rose up and created a revolt against Rome. Rome was over everything. And this created a lot of problems. There was a change in emperors or Caesars at that time it took, took place. But then a general named Titus came in and he decimated Jerusalem and he tore down the temple brick for brick and he scattered the Jews everywhere. I think that was the fulfillment of that moment. And once they had been judged for crucifying their Messiah, there was no need for tongues anymore. That's my personal belief on it. Now, I'm going to give you some more historical things about that next week because we're going to talk about what does tongues look like in the local assembly from the rest of this passage. But that's a very good question. Thank you, Julie. Very good question. Yes, go for it, Lauren. What second blessing? Okay. Yes. It's deceitful. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend anybody by saying that. Where else would it come from? Because it's not according to the parameters of Scripture. There is no second blessing, guys. There's not. A lot of people who come to a second blessing experience are just embracing what's already happened to them a long time ago. They're just coming to the realization of it. It's almost like a personal revival. It's like recognizing, whoa, Jesus did all this stuff for me and I now have this power in the Lord. Yes, he wants us to be saved from the power of sin in our daily lives. But Jesus already died at the get-go. And when you came to faith in Christ, you're already fully in him. 
Jesus doesn't just halfway save people. He's like, well, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of a, a projects Christian here. We'll, we'll wait and get you in the high house here in a little while. That doesn't happen. That's not our Savior. That's not the love of our God. He doesn't do that. Yes. Yes. It's not a second blessing. It's a realization of everything that was included in the first blessing. There's an abundance that takes place at the moment of faith. I think one of the greatest things that we could do, if you're looking for that to happen in your life, is a greater embracing of the first blessing. Number one, sit down, get alone with God, and confess sin. That's a big thing. Sin is often keeping us from recognizing all of the jewels of grace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much power for living that we don't even know about, able to overcome even the simplest obstacles that want to strangle us and get us wrestled down to the ground. And in Christ, all those things are already conquered. We just don't live in light of the truth that needs to be embraced. Confess sin and get it out of the way. John's method was really good when he did that baptism. Get your sin out of the way. Bring it to God. God, here's what I've done. Here's what I'm dabbling in. Here's what I've been in bondage to for years. Get it out of the way. Now, Lord, I recognize I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ to you. Please use my body as an instrument of righteousness. You want to talk about holy living taking place? You want to talk about receiving the word of God and the spirit using that to kindle a blazing fire? Woo! That's fantastic. It's when you start to recognize, oh my gosh, sin almost seems silly to participate in. Why would I want to be involved in that when Christ has done so much? Overcoming sin is simply about getting a greater glimpse of Christ and all that he's done. But we've got to take him at his word for what he said. And he's promised us wonderful blessings in here. Guys, I'm excited. After uh, the second week of July, we're going to start Ephesians. We're going to go verse by verse through the entire book. You guys, and it's going to take about 19 years to get through this book. But I'm very excited that we're going to do it. Uh, and, and I'm and, and I'm 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 excited about it. I'm on fire about it. Uh, the more I've prayed about it and prayed about it, I'm just jazzed beyond belief. So, and yes, people still use that word. Let's pray. God, I am thankful for all that we have in Christ. I'm thankful, Lord. We just need to go slow, study through Your Word, take it for what it says, unfold it, and see. Compare Scripture with Scripture. How does Your Word teach us about this situation? God, I pray that we would desire the edification of the body right now. That as we're, we're singing, as we leave this place, that we would stop with someone and whatever spiritual gift we have, Lord, we would look for you to use us to build up a brother or sister in Christ. How important it is that we are loving one another and that we are actively exercising our gifts for the betterment of one another. Thank you, God, for loving us and blessing us tremendously. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray it. Amen.